uh, one of our strategic partners is Young Life. Young Life works with students here, uh, really in all of Des Moines, but in particular here in, in, in the Waukee School District. And uh, they've been without an area director for the last year, and they just hired a new area director. His name is John Ritchie, and John will be here in September. And so we are super excited for our strategic partner and for our high school students as they invest in Young Life with our strategic partner. I also wanted to let you know, some of you have been asking about my mom, and uh, I'm going to try not to cry, but we're, we got good news about her cancer this week, and, uh, and so uh, apparently the cancer has not invaded her bladder wall for her bladder cancer that she has, and so uh, hopefully they've, they've gotten and they've removed the cancer, and, and she'll need ongoing follow-up treatment, but we're just praising God for that right now, and thank you for your prayers for that. All right, we're starting our new series in the book of Genesis called Genesis Beginning, and we're focusing on the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Everybody loves a good origin story, like the backstory. Uh, I don't know if you remember, but in the 90s, I was so excited for the Star Wars prequel to come out because we were going to find Anakin Skywalker's background and, and learn a lot about Anakin. And, and we did learn a lot about Anakin Skywalker. We also learned that, indeed, computer graphics can be overused in a set of movies. Uh, but we learned a lot. Everybody loves a good origin story. Um, and we love, really, if you think about it, everyone loves to know or be in touch with their own origin story. There are things about you and there are things about me that can only be explained if we truly understand our origin story. There's things about me that, uh, that are pretty funny, and the only reason you would know this is if you could understand my origin story, where I grew up, how this happened. Um, one of the things that happens around our house is, uh, is occasionally I get injured in some way or another. Now, th this happens. Um, Especially with six kids, it's like always a, a danger zone. But when I was a kid, I remember my dad, uh, when inevitably, my dad was balding, so inevitably he would hit his head because he lacked hair to warn him that something was in front of him to hit him. And I can remember my dad would hit his head or stub his toe, and his face would turn beet red, and he would get so angry because he was hurt and he would get so mad the whole world knew my dad was angry and as being someone who you know truthfully is, is a wuss when it comes to conflict at times even as a kid like I just hated it it would make me so uncomfortable and so nervous to see my dad so angry and he wasn't angry at anyone he was just angry because he got hurt well fast forward a few years and uh, here's what will happen around my house when I get injured. It's this really odd occurrence that my children would not, would no doubt argue with, is that if I, in my increasingly receding forehead, will hit my head or stub my toe, I my first reaction, just like my father, is to get really angry. I'm so angry that this hurts so bad, but then I quickly remember how uncomfortable it made me when my dad got angry. So I will start saying things like, I love this when this happens. I love it when I hit my head. This is so great. Uh, <laughs> and if you didn't know any of that backstory, you would think I am just crazy beyond belief. And I probably am. My kids someday, well, I don't know how that will scar them. I'm sure it, it probably already has. Everybody has an origin. There's a reason for everything we do. We all do stuff, tendencies, behaviors. They're shaped by our past. And what God wants us to know today 
is that we are the way we are today because of our past. But I'm not just talking about our childhood past. I'm talking about our past together as a human race. We are the way we are because of who we are as a human race. And this brings us to our new series on the book of Genesis. This Genesis beginning series in chapters 1 to 11. And really, what you need to know today as we look at the first two verses of Genesis chapter 1 is that it's hard to figure out where you're going if you don't know where you've been. It's hard to figure out where you're going if you don't know where you've been. Genesis tells us all about our beginning as a race. It's why God's story is the way it is. So if you look at the book of Genesis, just a, I'm going to give you a quick overview of where this book comes from. The book of Genesis was written by a guy named Moses about 1,400 years before the birth of Jesus. The Israelites, if you remember, had spent 400 years in slavery. And then God raised up Moses and God pulled the, you remember the story through the ten plagues, God pulled the people, his people out of slavery, they crossed over the Red Sea, and they were heading to the promised land. And as they're on their way to the promised land, this group of one to two million of God's people crossing through the desert, it took them 40 years wandering aimlessly in the desert, and during this time when this group of people is heading up to the promised land is when Moses wrote the book of Genesis. And you see, the Israelites were ready for a new beginning. They, they were no longer slaves. They were no longer captive by the Egyptians. They were their own people. They were free to be God's people. And in turn, what God does to them as they're marching up to the promised land is he gives them their origin story. See, God says you can't have a new beginning in the promised land if you don't understand your past. You see, it's hard to figure out where you're going if you don't know where you've been. Maybe you can relate to the Israelites a little bit here. Maybe you're in a place in life where you're ready for a new beginning. Maybe life keeps throwing for you for a loop. Maybe you don't understand God or what he's doing. Maybe you continue the same behaviors over and over and over again. Maybe you just want a new beginning. You can't do that until you understand your past. And not just your life history, but I mean your purpose as a human being. And God's role in your life. In Genesis is about that beginning. Genesis is God's record to us to tell us our origins. It's a, our purpose. It's a story of beginnings. You see, it's hard to figure out where you're going if you don't know where you've been. And the vast majority of people on this planet today completely miss the simple fact. They don't know where they came from, and they don't know where they're going. They're just wandering aimlessly. And so today, God says to you and to me and to everyone in the human race, here's the story of your beginning. Here's your origin. Today, we're only looking at two verses. And believe me, it was very hard for me to condense everything that needs to be said about these two verses into a 35-minute sermon. I'm going to do my best today, but these two verses are pivotal, pivotal to our story because these are the first words of God's story and our story. So to understand where you've been, you need to know two things today. To understand where you've been so you can know where you're going, to get this whole series started, you need to understand two things about these first two, thing, books, or first two verses in Genesis. And the first thing is this. Your story begins with God. Your story 
begins with God. I want to walk you through the words of these verses. The words of every word in, this, in these first two verses, it's so important to understanding that your story begins with God. The first words we see in the Bible are in the beginning. In Hebrew, it's the simple phrase, bereshit. It's one word, bereshit, in the beginning. God existed before anything else. That's the first thing we learn. In the beginning was God. In the beginning teaches us that God existed before anything else. If this is true, then you and I and everything in the universe comes after God. In the beginning was God. Everything else comes after him. Everything stems back to God. He is our origin and nothing exists without him. If God existed before anything else, inherently we learn two things about ethics and morality from this simple concept. The first idea, ethically, is, is the words in the beginning establish what I've heard called a two-ism of philosophy. To understand what a two-ism is, you have to understand what a one-ism is. A one-ism says there's one ethical sphere, there is one sphere for all existence. Um, you'll see this a lot in Eastern, Eastern mysticism or Eastern uh, philosophy, Eastern worship. This idea that we're all in this together, you know, to quote High School Musical. We're all in this together. That's the idea of oneism. God's in it. You're in it. I'm in it. We're all on equal par. We're all on this thing together. And what this says ethically to us is that we're all free to make our own rules. We're all free to make our own ethics. We're all free to make our own reality because we're all in it together. But if you hear, if you believe something that the Bible teaches called, what I've heard called twoism, twoism says there's the sphere where we are, but outside of our sphere, superseding us, is God. This completely changes the way you look at ethics. If in the beginning is true, if God existed before our sphere of morality and existence, then God exists outside of us. God supersedes us. And in turn, God gets to establish what is right and wrong. In the beginning, before anything else, there was God. God is the foundation for everything. He's not stuck in the same predicament we are. If you believe in oneism, God's stuck in the same place we are. There's only one sphere of morality. We might as well all make up our own rules. But, it, but twoism brings us a great hope. That there's something, someone greater than us. Oneism is just a bunch of relativism and wandering, the blind leading the blind. Twoism says that we have an anchor for our modern ethics. Now, let this blow your mind. The Bible establishes in the very first words, ethics and morality. In the beginning, God. He was before all of us and everything's created. Let this blow your mind. The gospel says that God who existed perfectly outside our sphere and able to explain and establish what is right and wrong this God entered our sphere he became one of us that's Jesus the gospel says that when we were uh, lost and blind and not wanting God's direction he came to us Jesus spread out his arms and died Jesus rose from the dead God sent us his spirit the good news, God came to us. 
You see, your story begins with God. Our story as a human race begins with God because God existed before us. The next word in the Hebrew in this passage is really fascinating. We started with in the beginning. The very next word of the, is a verb. It's he created. Very sheep bara. That's the second word in the Hebrew. And aside from the fact that the grammar here is so cool, all right, I, I won't... I'm like totally geeked out about this when I was preparing for a message. I realized you don't give a rip about Hebrew grammar, but the Hebrew grammar is so cool because Hebrew grammar is consisted of three letters with understood vowel points in between them. And what the author has done is he's made the word Bereshit the same three root letters as the word bara. The same through Hebrews. He's making a parallelism. He's saying this is all together. In the beginning, created. God created. That verb created is the next thing. Now, there's two implications of this. First of all, if God was in the beginning and nothing existed before God, then God had to create everything. The Latin is ex nihilo. Out of nothing. God created it from nothing. From the get-go, God's showing off his power. The laws of physics in our sphere don't let anyone do this. I do not know anybody who can create something from nothing. I know some pretty cool people in this world who can make some pretty great stuff, but they always start with raw materials. I don't know anyone who can make something from nothing, but that's what God did. Psalm 148.5 says, Let them praise the name of the Lord, for at His command they were created. The second thing that that word He created means is it simply means this. It means God is creative. Probably more than the fact that God created this world out of nothing, probably more intrinsic to the word he created, to that verb, is the idea of creativity. When the author of Genesis put together, when Moses put this together, he had in mind in this word that God is an incredibly powerful and free and creative God. Uh, I got to be honest, I'm not an art nut. I'm not a guy who would pay to go into an art gallery and stare at stuff. Because when I think of an art gallery, I think of things like this picture, right? Right here. Like that's in a modern art gallery. <laughs> like that's just garbage, right? Like to me, you're supposed to look at that and contemplate your existence or something. I don't know. That's one of those modern art things. But here's the idea of creativity. The idea of creativity is an artist. Freedom and power. The idea here is, yes, God created out of nothing, but as we are going to learn, it's what happened after that. That God creatively took the raw materials that he spoke into being, and he creatively put them together. Uh, if you were to look at um, Michelangelo's Pieta, it's a statue here. Uh, you'll see the picture here. This is a famous, stat, uh, famous carving uh, of Mary holding Jesus as he came to, after he came down from the cross. And this is an incredibly famous uh, statue. It was made out of one single piece. One single piece of, of marble. One single slab of marble. Now look, listen, what I wanted to know, and, and you know, no one could take a picture of it back then, but what did the slab of marble look like before? I mean, a block. How did Michelangelo... Look at that block and envision this. It's in, it, it's, this word in Hebrew that talks about God stresses that God saw this. He's incredibly powerful and free to do what he wants. He imagined it and he's powerful enough to make it come into being. 
He created you. Your story begins with God. The third word in Hebrew, it gets better. Bereshit bara Elohim. It's the word for God. This is a fantastic word. It's the second most frequent word in the Old Testament. And the word Elohim, God has different names. There's different words in Hebrew that are used for God. But the word Elohim connotes majesty. When we talk about creation, sometimes we get sidetracked by the Big Bang Theory. Like you look at Genesis chapter 1, and we get so sidetracked by, how did this whole thing happen? Was there a Big Bang? Was God the one who did the Big Banging? Like, how did this whole thing work? Where's evolution in this? Was creation millions of years old or thousands of years old? And we get hooked up into all this stuff, but just stop for a second. Don't do that. Stop for a second and hear what Moses is saying. The creative God of the universe, who existed before anything else did, is a majestic God. That's very different than the gods of the Egyptians. Remember, the, Egypt, the, the Israelites had been in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. For 400 years, they knew Egyptian gods. If you study Egyptian history, you'll learn that the Egyptians made up all kinds of crazy gods. There's a river. Let's make a river god. There's a frog. Let's make a frog god. And the Egyptian gods were all controllable. They were gods that were temperamental and crazy, but they could be manipulated and controlled. And in the face of all this, the third word that we learn in the entire Bible is that God, Elohim, is majestic and he can't be controlled and he's sovereign. Unlike Egyptian gods, we have one God who can't be manipulated. Now, if you're like me, you from time to time have tried to manipulate God. Sometimes I do it even unconsciously. But we say things like, okay God, here's the deal. If I behave really, really well, will you do this for me? Or, better than that, God, if you do something special for me, I promise I'll behave really, really well the rest of my life. We try to make bargains with God all the time, but if anything Genesis teaches us, Genesis teaches us that God cannot be bargained with. He's majestic. He can't be manipulated and controlled. One of the things that... Um, Aaron and Jess Savage got me this book to read to Olivia. It's the, the Jesus Storybook Bible. And uh, I just uh, broke this out recently. I've been reading it. And basically, it's a story for kids. And it, and it shows how every story in the Bible points to Jesus. I, I want you to just hear this for a second. Um, in this cool picture book here, you can all see. what's in your, the, the author says, some people think the Bible is a book of rules telling you what you should and shouldn't do. And the Bible does have some rules in it. They do show you how life works best. But the Bible isn't mainly about you and what you should be doing. It's about God and what He has done. This is fantastic. When you understand that God, in His very heartbeat, is trying to communicate to us that this is His story and He loves us enough to pull us into His story, it's powerful. But we sort of want to keep God at an arm's length and say, God, um, you are really about my story, God. And if you do this for me, I can manipulate you by making a bargain with you. John Walton says this, Genesis 
led a revolution against the universal human proclivity to fabricate gods that could be controlled and manipulated. <laughs> My kids like, uh, and I have for years now watched this uh, show on ABC called Once Upon a Time. If you've ever seen this show, the basic concept is uh, these fairy tale characters come to our world and have to exist in our world. And uh, as the seasons went on, it got more and more ridiculous, but uh, as all sh TV shows do. However, there was an interesting thing in this last season. They wanted to find the author of the storybook so they could control and manipulate him. And so they tracked down the author of the storybook, and, and in the episodes that I saw, the author of the storybook, which is a clear reference in this to God, the author was a bumbling idiot no different than them. Uh, it's a clear effort to call back to oneism to say God's not majestic. God's not special. God can be manipulated. Your story begins with God. And if you and I miss this, that the Elohim, the majestic, the sovereign God of the universe, that this is his story that we're a part of, if you miss that, you're missing something amazing. There's a fourth phrase in verse 1 then. In the beginning, God created. What did he create? The heavens and the earth. God created the heavens and the earth. This is a, a Hebrew phrase. It's an all-inclusive phrase. It says, if you grab an idea on both ends of the spectrum, you've basically included everything in the middle. So the heavens and the earth, if you were imagine standing on earth, looking up at the sky, that's the heavens. And then the earth is everything under your feet. Um, and so the idea being here, everything you see, God made. Now, all you have to do in verse 1 is think for just a second what we've learned about the universe in which we live. I'm kind of a space nut. I like space things. Uh, Laura Hager turned me on to this new uh, an app about the New Horizon probe that just visited Pluto. I don't know if any of you care about this, but I was fascinated by this. It took almost a decade for the New Horizons probe to get from Earth all the way out to Pluto, and just for a quick flyby. Like, they didn't even have enough gas to stop the thing, right? Around Pluto, they just zoomed by to see Pluto for the first time. Ten years. The New Horizon probe, 70,000, uh, it, it went fast. It was, it was the third fastest probe ever to leave Earth. It went fast. But if you were to take the New Horizon probe and send it to the nearest star to us, Alpha Centauri, it would take as fast as it is, it would take that probe 70,000 years to reach the nearest star. Nick, do you have pictures in here? There's the New Horizon probe. The next one is Alpha Centauri. That's the best photo we got from Hubble Telescope of Alpha Centauri. 70,000 years. Alpha Centauri is 4.3 light years away. That means it takes 4.3 light years for the light to get from Alpha Centauri to us. That's 100, light travels at 186,000 miles per second. I mean, it's really fast. And it still takes 4.3 years for the light to get from our nearest neighboring star to us. Okay, now let this blow you away. God did that. God created that. He spoke it to being. Let this blow you away, okay? There are galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, it's estimated, based on our location, that it is 100,000 light years across our galaxy. So what, what blows my mind is that the stars that we can see, let's say there's a star on the other side of our galaxy, we can see it, it's, let's say it's 60,000 year, light years away. 
It took 60,000 light years for, years for the light to get from that to our planet. So that means that star isn't even in the same place it was when the light now as to when that light left that star to get to us. And that's just our galaxy. Guess what? It's estimated there are 100 billion galaxies in the universe. I mean, just let that blow you away for a second. The sheer distance. And Genesis 1-1 sums it up in, in the beginning, God created everything you see. The heavens and the earth. This majestic God. Our story begins with him. Now imagine these Israelites. They're coming up from Egypt to the promised land. They're camping out at their campfires. Imagine there's no city lights bothering them. And they looked up at the stars. And they looked up at the night sky and they can see all these galaxies, all these stars before them. And Moses writes, in the beginning, God created everything you see. Suddenly, our story that we get so consumed with seems pretty small. Because there's a much bigger narrative going on here than just you and me. You see, it's hard to figure out where you're going if you don't know where you've been. And the first thing you need to know is that your story is really about God, and it begins with Him. And what God does then, in turn, is He injects us with purpose. And that's the second thing I want you to know today. As we come to verse 2, we're going to see that your story begins with purpose. Your story begins with purpose. Verse 2 says, Now the earth was formless and empty, or void. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Without God, we're formless, we're without perfect. We're just like all of His creation. These words are so fascinating. The earth was formless and void. So God made everything, and then here we have this, this earth. The earth was formless. The idea here is not so much like that it's a void chasm of nothingness, but the idea here is actually it's chaos or without purpose. It's sort of like a, if, you ever, if you've ever been in a desert and you look around and all you can see is desert for every direction you turn. It seems to you to just to be endless nothing. Like that's the idea that, that Moses has here. It was an endless purposeless nothingness. The Hebrew for without form and void is, is rhythmic. It's, the actual words are tohu wabohu. And it served as a common expression for a place that's discovered and empty and therefore uninhabitable. The very opposite of what the earth would be six days later through creation. It's like this. As, as God created the heavens and the earth, now the earth was formless and void. It's like a parts list for a house. I don't know if you've ever been on a construction site, but you walk up to the construction site, and may, maybe for a house, and there is the, a poured basement, just kind of ready to go. And uh, that day, the, uh, the lumber yard delivers truckload after truckload of supplies. The trusses, the lumber, and it's all bound up in pallets, and they set it in the yard. And all those pieces are setting there. Without an architect a designer, an engineer, those pieces are without purpose. They're just pieces. But the architect brings meaning and purpose, and as the workers assemble it, all of a sudden those pieces that just seemed like parts come together for purpose, 
And you, you watch over a matter of days, sometimes it only takes a week for a house to go, zoom, and all those pieces of wood, and all of a sudden in front of you, you go, oh yeah, now I see it. Now it looks like a house. In Genesis 1, verse 2, that's the picture that Moses is painting for us. The, everything was created and God is just waiting to inject purpose into it. He said there was a darkness over the deep. It's just waiting. It's waiting to explode with purpose and beauty. And then we see God's Spirit is hovering over the water. Um, th- this word in Hebrew, this word for spirit, it's the same word for wind. Uh, sometimes we get all sidetracked with this and we say, oh, the Trinity is in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, because the Spirit of God is right there. And, and, and while, yes, we can look with hindsight and say, most certainly the Spirit of God was active in creation, but what the Hebrews had in mind, what Moses had in mind was writing this, was God's very presence. He wasn't consumed with the Trinity here. Moses was saying, when the earth was made, God's Spirit, He's right there. He's waiting. He's hovering like a mother bird hovering over her nest, providing protection, direction, and care. God is hovering, ready to explode into an orchestra of purpose. And next week, we're going to start looking at these, some of these days of creation where God explodes this world with purpose and love. Moses wants us to know that God's Spirit was present, ready to inject purpose from the beginning. Now, what does this mean for your life? Well, it means that just like from the beginning, God's Spirit was there injecting purpose, so God is here today. He's not far. He gave purpose to His creation, and so there's a purpose for you. Do you know the nearness of God? He's there. Has your story been about you and not God? It's okay, God's still there. He is waiting, just like he did at the, in Genesis 1, verse 2, waiting to explode his purpose into the created order in just the same way God's Spirit is ever-present in our lives, waiting to explode your life with his purpose and meaning and create something beautiful and glorious. God formed you. He loves you. The gospel starts with this simple concept. Jesus gives you purpose. This is a mental shift that we have to make. We have to make a mental shift. Because let's see, the reality of it is, is that sometimes we don't think about God longing like the Spirit of God in Genesis 1-2 to inject purpose into our lives. We don't think like that. I've got a narrative or a story that I've told about myself. And you have one that you've told about yourself. It goes something like this, you know. Well, I'm going to do something great for God. And so, God, I'm ready. I've got a plan. I know how I'm going to do something great for you. And so one day I'll be excited to look back and see tens of thousands of people who said, Wow, Dave, you're incredible. And look how God used you in, in my life. And then Ray Bolts will start singing a song about thank you. And it'll be this amazing experience. And I've got this story in my life. Who hasn't done that? Who hasn't told God the story? Maybe your story says I'm awesome. God help me along the way, maybe. Maybe your story doesn't even include God. Maybe it's just, I just want to be awesome. Maybe your story is just lost. 
because it's not been about God. God's Spirit is waiting to inject purpose and meaning into your life, just like He was waiting in Genesis 1-2, because this is what God does. Your story begins with purpose. And your story continues with purpose. I was imagining what this looks like in someone's life. Because the reality is we have to redefine our stories. Because we look back at our life and say, well, my dad screwed this up, or my mom did this, or my crazy uncle did this, and I'll never forget it, and I'll never be the same, and I'm ruined for life. But we have to get more creative than that. Because we haven't looked back far enough. We have to look beyond what we think is our origin to the origin of the very beginning. God made us all this way. I was imagining what this looks like. and I know of a woman who struggled through this very thing. You see, she thought she knew her origin story. When she was a young girl, she was abandoned by her parents. She was raised and bounced from foster home to foster home. And that incident defined her in her mind. It was her origin story. As a 15-year-old girl, she came into contact with a long-lost uncle who eventually raped her as a teenager. And that moment for her changed the rest of her life. And so those two incidents became her origin story. Unloved and easily used. Those are for her what became her story. She began to feel worthless, depressed, even suicidal, and she grew tired of feeling this way, so she began to find ways to suppress those feelings. So she pursued any distraction would drown out her voice of self-loathing. She got a credit card. She purchased to the max. You know, she bought everything she could think of because every time she bought something for a moment, she felt better. She believed that people were only interested in her for their sexual pleasure. So she began to see every relationship with every guy that she came in, in contact with as a relationship where they just wanted to use her. She truly believed that her origin story defined her and she kept people at arm's length. She did everything she could do to cover up the pain and she said, don't get too close. But God had something different to say to her. He said, you're loved because I formed you. And my heart is broken because of what sin has done. And God said to her, you have heard the wrong story. You are not defined by others' sin. And you are not defined by your own sin. You are not defined by abandonment and mistreatment, God says. Your origin isn't the result of any human God says to her, your origin is in me, because this story is about me. So God said right now to her, I'm redeeming your story. Just like I formed the universe and gently spoke purpose into its chaos, so I'm rewriting your story, your chaos, bringing purpose to it. And God says, would you look past what you think is your origin? Would you see me? I'm hovering gently reforming your chaos. I would leave you with these two simple questions today as we wrap up. First of all, your origin story begins with a good God. Do you believe that? 
It's about Him. His goodness overflows to you. The second question I have for you is, your story is formed by a good God. And don't believe any differently. Look past the pain of your own past to the goodness of a God who is hovering, waiting. This is a God who does all things well. This is a God who put and spoke and breathed life. And he wants to do that for you too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to look past our own origin stories to the true story that you speak to us. Help us to not believe lies that we have maybe believed for years and years and years, but help us to see that your Spirit is hovering, waiting, longing to transform us and make us and to bring us along into your story, God. We pray this in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Mm -hmm.